Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The FT. Hello and welcome to the Arts Podcast. I'm Andrew Hill, the FT's management editor, and this week we turn our attention to films that portray the financial crisis. The latest of these is Margin Call a fictionalised account of 24 desperate hours at a Wall Street investment bank in 2008 as it attempts to save itself from a disaster of its own making. Written and directed by first-time feature director J.C. Chandor and starring Kevin Spacey, Demi Moore and Jeremy Irons, among others, it was described by The New Yorker as the best Wall Street movie ever made. It's been marketed as a thriller, but how do you create excitement when the action consists of men in suits peering at computer screens and talking on blackberries. Does Margin Call have anything new to say on the much-debated causes of the collapse? With me to discuss these questions are Alex Preston, ex-city trader and author of This Bleeding City, Peter Aspden, FT arts writer, and Leo Robson, film and television critic. But before I turn to them, let's listen to a clip from the film. The real question is, who are we selling this to? Same people we've been selling it to for the last two years, and whoever else will buy it. But, John, if you do this, you will kill the market for years. It's over. And you're selling something that you know has no value. We are selling to willing buyers at the current fair market price so that we may survive. You will never sell anything to any of those people ever again. I understand. Do you? Do you? This is it. I'm telling you, this is it. Kevin Spacey and Jeremy Irons there. Alex, to turn to you first, thank you for joining us. You're the only one of us who's who's seen inside this kind of situation. What did you make of the film? I thought probably the Wall Street, the New Yorkers uh, in Comia were, were, were rather over the top, but I did think it was a very good film. And I think perhaps it is the best film ever made about Wall Street, but I think that says more about Wall Street films than it does about this particular film. I thought it was very, very good. I thought it was very convincing. Uh, J.C. Chander, the, the writer and director, is the son of a 40-year Merrill Lynch banker, 40-year veteran of Merrill Lynch. And, and I think you can tell that. The dialogue is absolutely spot on. Um, I thought it was wonderful. And I think it very much follows on from the social network in, in, in terms of a film that doesn't patronise the audience. It is complex in, in many ways. And it shows you can do a smart office drama. And I think uh, uh, in that it works well. also reminded me of a play. I thought it was very kind of condensed in this office that, where, where they film it. Uh, and, and that, you know, maybe it comes on from something like Enron. I mean, it doesn't have that far seller to Enron, but it does have, you know, it does the tension. It's this 36-hour uh, period in these guys' lives, and time almost seems to stand still in there. It's, it's, you know, it is a magnificent film. Peter, do you agree? Yeah, I do, absolutely. And um, what I loved about it is that it actually doesn't try too hard to explain things. It's not that technical. I mean, there are bits that are difficult, and there are a few initials that a lot of people won't pick up on. But it focuses on a, it tries to zero in on a more profound theme, really. It tries to kind of tell us something about the human condition. And the, and the big question really is, 
what does motivate us to to keep wanting so much more money you know the the the, the greed involved i mean it really tries to get there you know I, there are, there are two quite decent characters at least two um who you would think would be able to get out but they're both trapped and they're both trapped because they want more money or need more money do, do you worry that it that it humanizes a bit too much the authors of the crash in that way or is that a good thing um no, because I don't think you don't get that sense of the Jeremy Irons character. I mean, I think it has a nice spread of characters. I think the the, the morality is quite um, quite evenly balanced. I mean, clearly the Kevin Spacey character is uh, you know I mean, a good guy, but you know. But surely his, that's his... also the point. Uh, you know, this is something that I feel very strongly about the about the fiction that has dealt with the financial crisis. We actually need to humanise some of these characters because setting bankers up as these Lex Luthor figures, as these kind of comic book villains, as as has been done. You know, particularly I thought in Sebastian Folks's week in. In December, it, it devi- not, a, not a good book, I have to say. Oh, I really, I, I actually thought it was rather good. Apart from, I thought that the the the, the places it struggles are the bits dealing with the, the financial crisis, partly because it kind of delves very deeply and journalistically into the the world of the CDS and the the, the ABS and the CDO. But I absolutely agree with Peter that I I think what you need is you know understanding CDOs to explain the financial crisis is like un- understanding machine gun mechanisms to explain war. You you want to know what drove this general of bright, educated people to jettison their morality at a, at a period at some point in the first half of, of, of the last century, and, and, and to, of the last decade. And, and to understand that, uh, you, you have to get the human story underneath it. And I think that's absolutely what it does. It's absolutely right that the financial, you know, the complexities of exactly what is going wrong with, with the financial side of the bank are left something of a, an enigma, because it's a MacGuffin. It just drives along the plot. And what you get is you get what drives these people. Why do they need all this money? Why are they putting greed above morality? Leo, you've seen a lot of these movies and documentaries, dramatizations of the crisis and so on. And you wrote last weekend that uh, so far the TV programmes seem to display great interest in the scary and the scandalous, but little beyond that. Does this, does this go beyond that? I think it goes beyond that to a certain extent, but it also demonstrates that same interest. What I meant was that the programmes are very devoted to un raveling a lot of detail which shows beyond all doubt almost like a legal argument that what these people did was foolish and myopic and selfish and we i think we know that now it's been established we've had enough now as alex was sort of hinting at, at what really happened you know what what the disasters what form the disasters took and and i think this film might represent a move at a slightly more historical slightly less journalistic account of of the human motives rather than just the, the human acts that, that, that caused all the trouble in 2008. I mean, you've hinted, Alex, that the, the fiction may be slightly better place then to get under the skin of this crisis. Is that your, your sense? Well, I think that, you know, you obviously within the, within the time space that you have in a film, you have to simplify so much. And the novel gives you more space to play out the various themes. And, and you know, I, I, I do think that literary fiction is one of the few boom areas in, the, uh, uh, in this recent downturn, because you, you now have five or six very, very fine novels that, that are set more or less against the financial world. And, you know, I mean, from the US, you have uh, Union Atlantic, 
Pacific and you have The Privileges, which I thought were both excellent, excellent novels. Uh, over here you have, uh, you know, whatever we think of uh, Mr. Folks, it was a very successful novel. I thought that um, uh, The Fear Index by Robert Harris was, was a really interesting thriller set yes, against the financial. And then John Manchester's Capital, which is out in, I think, February or March, uh, and is an exceptional novel and really uh, perhaps succeeds in many ways where A Week in December didn't. Peter, in between sort of novels and movies and, and possibly bringing in documentaries, what, where, where do you feel the best explanations of a crisis this technical it's, come know, from? It's so complex, I think you need to take a sort of balanced diet of all of them. I mean, I, I agree with Alex. I think fiction can definitely go further and more profoundly into what motivates these people. But I wouldn't write off the documentaries as well. You know, they can be... I mean, I thought Inside Story, you know, I, I watched that... Inside Job. I, sorry, yes, Inside Job. I, I watched it um, on TV and I kind of... I was late at night and I couldn't get to sleep. It was... It just made me so angry, you know. And I think it was a very clever style. That You know, it was very seemingly unassuming, quite gentle questions, which gradually ratcheted up until a lot of these people just... They couldn't... You know, they, they kind of couldn't answer back and... And uh, that had quite a lot of power. I, I quite liked the fact that in Margin Call, the blame is not laid directly on all the characters. In, there's a sense in which you are supposed to obviously sympathise with some of the characters. Lee, I don't know what you, whether you thought that there, was, that there were villains in this movie, outright villains in this movie. Um, well, I, I think I don't really accept Alex's distinction between literary fiction and, uh, and a movie which is work fiction, though, in this case, based in, in some particulars uh, on Dick Fold and, and Lehman Brothers. Um, I think that, that most works of fiction, especially that are dealing with behaviour, which is so often defined as being incredible, unbelievable, how could it happen, etc., has the obligation to justify everyone from their own point of view. And even John Tulls, the, the suave character played by Jeremy Irons, who's channeling a bit of Daniel Day-Lewis and There Will Be Blood, a kind of mm. mid-Atlantic accent of, of uh, sort of grand suavity, and he's very extraordinarily sort of patrician. And uh, above it all, he sees the people on the ground as... Well, they're sort of their irrelevances to him as they would be if you travel by helicopter. I think that even he's given he's given a fair go at, at setting out his position. He has maybe three, four speeches in a, in all kinds of different places. In the very and he's not a he's set. not a proper villain. I mean, he's a villain mm. because of what we know happens afterwards. But I mean, he's operating by the rules of a market in which he lives, and and so I, you know, I I, I kind of. Uh, I thought that it was very nicely done that you are because of course this is one of the things that you know not everyone that worked in finance was a villain not everyone understood I did think maybe a little too often they say uh, speak to me as if I'm a child speak yes. to me as if I'm a golden retriever you know this idea of trying to uh, get things put on the table exactly how does it how does it work and that to me you know I mean I guess it represents the fact that of 10,000 people working in a bank probably 25 or 30 actually understood the tranched mortgage products that went wrong but it, it, that, the that joke came on being in, in the film that the people who don't know and say talk to me in English or as Paul Bettany's character Will Emerson says what the mm, do I know uh, are the people who are in charge yeah, absolutely. The but that, and, that's, and, that's, and that's spot See, on uh, yes. yeah. I agree um, I think there's, there's also some interesting speeches in there where the blame is laid more widely on sort of society and does that, I, does that I, ring I cringe, true? I wonder I whether that makes... I I mean, I think, I think absolutely. that You know, that, 
This is the great information imbalance that is one of the the tragedies of the past uh, five years or so, which is uh, the people on Wall Street who are saying, or in the city here, who are saying, yes, absolutely, you know, but everyone's to blame. We all lived on easy credit. Well, but you guys understood what was going on, or you should have done, whereas the people on the street who were taking out these ridiculous mortgages just thought that we were in a new era of economic prosperity. And and I think that it, it plays those nicely, although it perhaps comes down a little too firmly on the side of the Wall Street as kind of uh, disappearing into these circular arguments, uh, trying to exonerate themselves. When we had um, two bankers look at this uh, movie when it came out in uh, in the States, they seem to be sort of in two minds, really. One um, On one point, that it wasn't actually accurate enough uh, for bankers and they wouldn't want to go and see it and live through it again mm. anyway. <laughs> and for everyone else, possibly not judgmental enough on the on the it, bank. That's very interesting. That ha- that came up a lot in the... Oh, I was reading through reviews in the States and there were these kind of very polarised views of whether it gave you too much information, whether it gave you too little, whether it was too kind to the, the bankers, whether it wasn't kind enough. And actually, I think that's probably what he was trying to do. He was trying to tread this very fine moral line between uh, between exonerating and, and, and over-blaming the bankers involved. Peter, what do you think about the sort of timing of this? Obviously, we, we, if you if you read... The Financial Times and other papers were in the we're still in the middle of a, a crisis, mm-hmm. a, a different type of crisis, but a crisis nonetheless. And we're still blaming bankers. But this has come out only three years after. Is it too soon? Too late? It's it's part of a thing that has to keep going on. You know, we can't we can't just put it behind us. I think the events of two thousand eight was were epochal. You know, and and we have to keep investigating it and finding out and. You know, the, the the Financial Services Authority report just came out this week, you know, revealed new outrages, including a very senior management uh, figure who didn't fully understand what CDOs were, I believe. You yes, know. Robert so, Scotland. Yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah. 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 So, um, no, no, it, it, it has to, we have to keep exploring this theme. It's picking at it like a scab, I think, but uh, but it's very necessary. And, and when does the best art emerge from these types of crises, Leah? I mean, the, the certainly from my point of view, looking at books that have been written on the factual side of it, there's a genuine sense that I have that the great sort of histories of the crash will really not come out for another decade or so. Yeah, as well, happened that, after that's, the 1930s. that's... I think that movies have, a, have, a, have an incredible ability to be um, sort of journalism and art at the same time. Citizen Kane um, being, being a prime example made when Hearst uh, was was still was still going, and uh, in the seventies, in the early seventies, the Parallax View, all the President's Men, uh, all those kind of Watergate or sort of proto Watergate films of uh, of paranoia, suspicion, and and so forth. They 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 got to it very quick. I think it's right about the books, though. But the problem, the difference between this and many many historical phenomena is that it's not only extraordinarily complex, but it's totally defined by its complexity. So people are going to get away with, and I don't see, I don't mean that in a corner cutting way, but they are going to get away with telling the story, explaining it to to lay readers for quite a while before we're going to uh, achieve that kind of perspective. And so many of the books, even the really really excellent ones like Aaron Ross Sorkin's book, are they? That's just a torrent of fact and detail and testimony and I think what they call deep background where you chat to everyone but can't say who told you what. That's uh, like David Hare's The Power of Yes. You know, it was a play that wasn't a play. It was just a journalist asking a lot of questions. Yeah, sort of or- oral history. You know, the genesis of that play is really interesting because uh, Nick Heitner told me that uh, that started by him talking to David Hare in a telephone conversation and Heitner saying, by the way, I don't really understand any of this financial crisis. And David Hare said, 
by the way, nor do I. And Heitner said, then we should do a play about it. And, you know, and with his ideas of using theatre as a place to explore these issues. And he wrote it very fast. And I think it was very deliberately something that just he wanted to put on. And it, it was a first draft. To use uh, yeah, the and the same thing goes for, in a way, for Ross Sorkin's book. And I, and I watched the dramatisation of that recently. I thought it was rather good, actually. But it does fall into that category, Leo, of, of the sort of, but... of the scary... You yeah. come away feeling scared and not quite knowing how you can kind of um, deal with that. I think. And, of course, one of the best books about the financial crisis came out in 2002, and that shows another thing about fiction. Well, this is Don DeLillo's Cosmopolis, right. um, a novel which looks forward. You know that novels can be proleptic. They can, they can prophesy as well as uh, looking back. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting that some of our brightest minds kind of can project forward into these things as well as looking back. And, and I guess that's maybe the difference between fiction and non-fiction. I don't know. Yeah, a number of the books that people still consider the best thing it's is it charles morris or it's really end on a meltdown and uh, Gillian tett's fool's gold they were kind of ahead of the curve yeah because absolutely. actually people who who i think had a slightly different perspective on it in morris's case uh he worked he'd been a banker in in different times and was is very perceptive uh banking journalist in the atlantic and Gillian tett who'd done this phd in social anthropology they were a better understanding basically anyone who had a kind of different angle on it uh in, in a kind of systematic way, was able to see things that other people couldn't see and couldn't believe that they couldn't see them. Mm. And so I think that the, 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 the prophecies, though, though they, didn't, uh, they didn't help to avoid the crash, uh, yeah, they were definitely there. Alex, should we expect bankers to learn anything from these movies and <laughs> novels and, and other, other dramatisations of, of, of what went wrong? God, I don't know. All the bankers that I know have lost their jobs. And uh, so, yeah, I... Um, it's a morality tale. These are all morality tales. I mean, I think you look back to the the greatest novel to, to, to interact with the world of finance, which is Trollope's The Way We Live Now. Um, you know, it's a morality tale. And yes, we learn... Our minds operate through these fictional structures. We learn things through stories. And so the more of these stories, as Peter says, the more of these stories we have, the more we pick away at the things that drove these people, the more we will understand. And, and that, you know, bankers are human too. On that note, I think we'll um, wrap things up. Margin Call is released in the UK on January the 13th and Alex Preston's second novel, The Revelations, will be published by Faber in February. Thank you to my guests, Alex Preston, Leo Robson and Peter Aspton, and thank you for listening. The Arts Podcast was produced by Griselda Murray-Brown. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.